Hello and welcome to Super Saturday is a comic book media podcast where we rank media by its story, impact, and visuals to figure out if these projects will stand the test of time. I'm Damon A. And I'm Jay Hayward. In each episode, we'll be focusing on your favorite comic books, TV shows, and movies. And this week, we explore the bizarre and beautiful life of one of the least known powerhouses of the DC Universe. We experience the fires of hell, the wages of war, and the growth of a loving relationship. And, uh... Stan Lee is also kind of here, and uh, a lot of Jack Kirby. Pull out our mother boxes and set our boom tubes towards thrills, chills, and talk about some bills in Mr. Miracle's 2018 run, written by Tom King, illustrated by Mike Norton, and colored by Clayton Cowles. On with the show. Okay, so like you said, Jay, Mr. Miracle came out in 2018. I hope we got the dates right. Um, But, you know, in 2018, do you know what was happening in the comic book world when this book came out? I do have a couple of things here that I thought was really interesting. Um, Now, 2018 was uh, a year for a lot of different, like, really big indie comics that I was looking at, um, as well as Superman and Action Comics uh, by Brian Michael Bendis came out around this year. Uh, and that I know has become a pretty popular story within uh, the Superman mythos, uh, as well as just work with Brian Michael Bendis. We've talked about him a good couple of times in the past on the show, and his stuff is just fantastic. Uh, and then a little bit of some serious stuff. This is when things were really taking a turn for the worse for Stan Lee and his estate, uh, his lawsuit against his daughter, and it was just a very, very messy time up until his eventual pass uh, in the same year unfortunately, before 2019. So, a uh, very melancholy year, all considered for comic books in 2018, but a lot of really interesting indie runs, a lot of really fun DC runs that I was able to find. Uh, and, of course, our topic today. Honestly, uh, Brian Michael Bendis' run on Superman wasn't received the best. Really? Yeah, uh, he's the reason that John Kent was aged up to be a teenager. He also revealed Superman's secret identity. Uh, and then he just did a lot of int- like random stuff. I read a couple of issues from his run. I wasn't the biggest fan, but in all honesty, I'm tempted to give it more of like a chance. But I feel like him aging up Jonathan Kent, that was a problem for me. I think um, Jonathan Kent as a character was only around for like two, three years at that point, And then you just turn him into a teenager. Mm, mm. I don't know. I guess it is a bit odd. I guess it is a bit odd. Um, mm-hmm. I do know that I just enjoy Bendis' work. Maybe it's something that we could maybe talk about on the show. I- I'm sure that there's a yeah. million other Superman stories, though, that are at the top of that list. No, honestly, I love Bendis' work. Uh, he did Ultimate Spider-Man. He's done... He Well, he's created Jessica Jones. He's the reason he created uh, Miles Morales. Uh, his Daredevil run, I think, is like a hidden gem. Like It's critically acclaimed, but I don't hear enough people talking about it. Maybe that's something then that we need to start highlighting on the show. We could bring Tank Girl yeah. back. We can bring all this back too. Yeah. Which I'm again, down. if you guys have not checked it out, Soups, after this episode, check out Tank Girl. That's also one of our uh, pretty popular episodes here on the show. It's a pretty good one, right, Damon? Exactly. I fucking love that episode. It was fun to really look back at um at that book and learn a lot about that character. Um, but you know, Jay, I got one question for you. 
Well, before that, before you ask my question, what did you learn about the great year of 2018? Did you do your homework? Well, I did. There is a little movie that, you know, you might not have heard of it. Uh, Maybe the soups didn't hear about it at home, but it's a little movie that came out that year. And it's called Spider-Verse. And to the Spider-Verse that came out in 2018. That's right. It was a great Mm -hmm. year for comic movies. I forgot all about that. Huge year. Huge year. Holy shit. Dude, Spider-Verse once again on the channel. Yeah. Can't get enough of that guy. Exactly. Um, But, you know, that's what I got for our little history lesson here. My question for you, Jay, is dark side is? (sighs) (laughs) Okay. My first time with dark side. Uh, Your first introduction, I should say, yeah. As I as I take a drink of water right into the microphone, <laughs> my first time with Darkseid. Now I remember actually seeing him more as like an action figure when I was a kid than anything else. I didn't really know a whole, whole lot about him until I started to talk with you around high school. But I think the first piece of Darkseid centric media that I can really think of was uh, during the DC animated universe stuff that they were doing and it was the very first time that Justice League stuff was coming together and that was the Batman that was in like Court of Owls and Son of Batman and stuff like that and they had fought Darkseid in that story and I just thought that he was a very interesting character Uh, since then you showed me a whole bunch of stuff with him with Superman the animated series a lot of Superman primarily and uh, obviously, you know, since Zack Snyder, I've seen quite a bit <laughs> after the fact. Some good, some... <sighs> but overall, I think he's a very interesting and demeaning character when written very when, when written well. Same thing with a lot of uh, Jack Kirby's new gods, you know. Uh, yeah. Being handled with a, a certain type of scope, uh, especially when you think about Jack Kirby's lack of, of desire of continuity over the new gods. How do you really write around them? And Darkseid mm-hmm. is definitely one that I feel like has that kind of issue, but I don't know, has kind of let up now. I, I don't know if that's just due to Kirby's passing and DC then just deciding to take the torch and use them how they see fit, which makes the most sense to me. But no, Darkseid when used properly, is a very respectable and commanding character. And in some ways, I find him kind of more terrifying than like a Thanos or even a Galactus. Because it Mm -hmm. doesn't seem like he's a very stoppable person just on his own. Yeah, like, I think the best way to describe Darkseid is he's, like, ruthless. And what I mean by that is that, like, he really, really is the definition of that word. When it comes to things that he does, he's very unstoppable. He doesn't want to stop. He believes he's going to win. And uh, his, like, whole mission statement is that he's, like, craving to find the anti-life equation. Okay. There's a... That's a broad quest. That's a broad thing to look for. But, okay. Yeah. There's been a couple instances where, like, we learn a little bit of what the anti-life equation is, but, like, anti-life equation is basically, like, death. When you have it, you can defy death or you can, like, cause death, all this other type of shit. Um, If you read Deceased, which is, like, an um, Elseworld story that came out within the last couple of years, uh, it's basically, like, the DC universe but with zombies. And in that book, 
dark side finds the anti-life equation but the anti-life equation isn't exactly what he expected it to be it's like a living thing that's kind of like a virus and it infects people with anti-life which is pretty cool it, it was, it's a really good book i like the deceased books a lot uh but you know my first inter like introduction with dark side would have to be like you said jay superman the animated series i'd also say i had like this action figure that was a uh, dark side he had like a clamp cloth thingy and I'd play with that all the time with my Superman figure. But uh, no, Darkseid and Superman the Animated Series was just amazing. Uh, Jeremy Ironside with his voice and just the way he was written. And then there's just a lot of stuff that happened in that show that you'd be surprised happened on a kid's show. And I think Darkseid has one of the most like coldest lines a villain could ever say. Because at the end of the whole Superman series, when Superman finally defeats Darkseid, Superman's whole reputation is in the trash because everyone thinks he's going to be evil. And he thinks he's beaten Darkseid and he saved the people of Apocalypse. And Darkseid is like sitting there like beaten badly. And he tells the people they're free. They pause and they go and help Darkseid. And before Darkseid is carted away, he tells them to stop. And he turns to Superman and says something on the lines of this. I could be wrong, but he says like, ah. um, to, to uh, I forgot exactly what he said, but he said something along the lines <laughs> of like, uh, here, Kryptonian, I'm God. Like, they see me as God or something like that. Mm. Or it, it was something like, you see me as a man, but here I'm God. Something like that. And just the way it was delivered, it was epic. It was just great. Yeah, that kind of sounds something similar to the way how uh, commanding Doctor Doom is when you think of Marvel's supervillains. Yeah, I would that, say that too. That would be a hell of a beatdown. I would love to see that in one of these beat 'em up, uh, like fight games, Mortal Kombat games that's going on. I would love to see it. I'd like to see it. Uh, like I would really like to see it. But with that out of the way, are you ready to dive in, Jay? Oh, Damon, I thought you would never ask. Well, buckle up, kitties. Let's Whoa. dive in. No prison can hold him, no trap can contain him, he's scot-free. The worldwide celebrity sensation known as Mr. Miracle, and he's the greatest escape man. (laughs) And he's the greatest escape artist who's ever lived. But can he pull off the ultimate trick and escape death itself? Itself. Oh, it said self. It said saying self. Okay, all right. All right, Damon, you guys. Yeah, my bad. I don't have a list, but I swear. Uh, Eisner Award winners Tom King and Mitch and Mitch Jarrett present a bold new vision of one of Jack Kirby's greatest creations. So I got a couple of notes to go to talk about this before we dive in. So Kirby created the New Gods. There's this huge like advertisement for it. It was called Kirby is Coming. Uh, primarily because he was big at Marvel and. They wanted him over to like revitalize some characters and their stuff. I yeah. don't know. I, it, it was a lot of creative no, differences, wasn't it? Yeah. There's a lot of creative differences at his time at Marvel, and I don't blame him. Uh, I would say within the last couple of years is when I learned a little bit about... Stan Lee is still... He's not a terrible person, but Stan doesn't deserve all the credit that he gets for these characters in the Marvel Universe. Mm. Stan um, coined the term the, the, the Marvel method. So basically the Marvel method would be he would give them a loose bones 
storyline of what's going to happen in the book, like just a little quick summary, quick summary. The artist would then expound upon it and basically plot out the entire book. And then Stan will come back and put in the dialogue based off of the stuff that's there visually. A lot of times with some of the artists that he'd work on, there'd be a lot of creative differences. There's creative differences between him and Steve Ditko when they worked on Spider-Man. And there were a lot of creative differences between Kirby and Stan Lee when they were doing Fantastic Four. Now, during that time then, what do you think came out as like their best work, despite all these creative differences going on backstage? I would say like the crown jewel would have to be Fantastic Four. And uh, like Fantastic Four was really the crown jewel. And Jack Kirby had a lot of love towards the Silver Surfer. Now, that was one of the things that him and and Stan disagreed on on a lot of different things about. So I'd say that would be one of the defining uh, moments in their career together. I, I, will I would say, say oh, go ahead. <laughs> well, I was going to say a, a bit off topic to, to talk a little bit, too, about the comic, because um, they make fun of Stanley a great deal in Mr. Miracle. Uh, I didn't expect us to, I guess, really start on this guy, but... Um, no, there's like this wacky, like, what do you call him? An agent? Support? He's a PR agent. PR agent. PR agent. Where is his name? I had it written down. Uh, it's Funky Frogman. Funky Frogman. And I near think the... it was Frogman, but it's fun. I know his first I name I know it's funky. funky. Yes. Funky Flashman. There we there go. There it I is. Funky Flashman. Funky Flashman. And uh, near the end Boy, of the comic. The fingers. Funky Flashman. Funky Flashman. Yeah, with the fingers. Got to do it. And uh, at the end of the comic, they show off the use of this quote-unquote Marvel method uh, with a lot of the text that Stan would kind of use in Marvel that they were parroting at the end of this comic of just how it would really depict what Kirby and a lot of these other illustrations were really making. And it doesn't add a whole lot in comparison. You can kind of see where a lot of people have kind of learned a whole lot of Jack Kirby's frustrations in these later, not even just for Mr. Miracle, but just with a lot of comics and comic media after the fact, the way how he has been able to gain a lot of other recognition. But yeah, no, he went through so much shit to really get there, and he really didn't get to see it until, you know... He passed I guess away. He, he didn't really get to see it, you know? Yep, he never got to see it. And you know something... Uh, there's a scene in the story where um, Barda and Scott are sitting there um, putting their fa- putting their hands at the Chinese theater uh, like celebrities do. And Mr. Miracle puts his hand on Jack Kirby's star, and well, his handprints, and there's a quote that said, comics will kill you. And that was actually a quote from Jack Kirby. He uh, sat down, I forgot which artist he met with at a comic con. This was back in like the 90s, I want to say, or either 80s. And there's a kid who was really, like, wanting to get into all the stuff. And then he was very, like, he just told him flat out. Uh, Jack Kirby's story, it's really sad because he had a lot of love and had a lot of things that he gave to the, like, just to comics in general. But he never really got that recognition that he deserved. And uh, just, I don't know. The the same could be said about Steve Ditko. It's interesting because, like, with Steve Ditko... I think the reason why Stan got all that credit was because Stan was very extroverted. Very extroverted, big people person. Just like Ditko, Bob Kane. Yeah. Ditko was like a lot more um, aloof. He was a lot more introverted. 
And he even talked about how, like, yeah, he probably wouldn't have done the stuff that Stan Lee did, but he still wanted the recognition. Now, Jack Kirby, he was a little bit more spoken because he did do interviews. Uh, I think he even did, like, a documentary before, too. But he didn't have the same type of flashy personality that Stan had. And they just, you know, fell out over time. Very unfortunate. It is, especially when you think of really the kind of history that a lot of these artists were really just able to create that really has now started to outlive them, the legacy that they've been trying to create, you know, and really just how we are choosing to take that kind of history. I don't know. There's something about the the, the Ditko, Kirby, Stanley, Bob Kane stuff. I always think is so interesting. These real like rock stars of this era that. I don't know. They really sit on this type of Mount Rushmore that you see handled differently in a lot of different other media, like movies, television, uh, sports. Not a lot of stuff pays a lot of respect to the same root of people in the same way that comics kind of do. Even though it doesn't really say it, a lot of those kind of readers and fans get to kind of still have that remembrance and talk about it. And I think that's something really interesting about the community through comics that has come out in the past really ever and how the artists interact with each other being put onto the page. I don't know. There's something really cool about that to me. Yeah. This whole book was just a whole love letter to Jack Kirby. It really was. I know that a lot of people within the industry today, they have a lot of love towards Jack Kirby and uh, say what you will about Thor Ragnarok, but I have a lot of respect for the fact that Thor Ragnarok borrowed a lot of visuals from the Kirby books. And just the little bits and pieces where you see that type of stuff. I even like have a little bit of respect for the 2007 Fantastic Four and the Silver Surfer movie, where if you notice, whenever the, whenever the Silver Surfer uses his like powers, his powers looks like the Kirby crackle. Whenever mm, he'd mm. draw like, cosmic powers or whatever, it looked like that. It looked like that. It's just the little, like, just the little things, I'd say. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, like I said, this whole book was just a love letter. This was from Tom King. Tom King, at this point, I think, I think this came up before his Batman run, or it might have been during his Batman run. I'm not, not, I'm not sure. Uh, Batman Universe? No. No. uh, Bendis did Batman Universe. Bendis. He was doing, Tom King did Superman around this time. Yeah. When he did Batman Universe. Okay, so this is when he's doing his full Batman run. Yeah. Okay. And then um, I'm pretty sure uh, he also did Vision, which I really want to cover on the show. Uh, My question for you, though, what was your first, like, thoughts on this story? Oh, um, right away, it, it hit me that this was something kind of different from the comics that we've been reading the way how they're using this nine panel grid style to have this entrapment on the character i really enjoy that it really felt as though right off the bat i understood that the panel work the words the art it's all trying to work together to give this emotion visually in the same way how i've seen a lot of film try to do something that i haven't seen yeah it it felt different from how we've read other comics where it felt as though these constraints are there because that's just what the medium is as opposed to how can we play with it because we're in this medium so entrapment straight away was something that i felt which was very fitting for mr miracle who tries to escape everything 
And I thought this whole concept of him dealing with suicide. Oh, which I guess we should say right now um, that there is a lot of heavy topics that are within this book. That, so trigger warning. Yeah, we'll be discussing here. So now is like the time. I'm not going to play no air horn or something because this is a bit serious. Um, but yeah, this is this is your warning. This is your only warning here. Take it now. But yeah, Mr. Miracle, at the very beginning, we learned tried to kill himself. And through this story, we try to learn why. And he's just so personable. You know? Like, superheroes never feel personable. In fact, this guy doesn't really even do superhero work. He just, he does, like, events. And that's, that's yeah. really, like, his, his cup of tea, you know? Like, if anything... The only thing that brings him to the superhero world is because he's he's not even human. Neither him nor Big Barda. Yep. And they wife. help out the Justice League and stuff like that a little bit. But it's like, it's not like, oh, we're out fighting crime. It's more like, beep, boop, 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 beep. Hey, yeah. we need some extra people to come help and do this. And it's, they're like, okay, I guess. It's yeah. very like Incredibles family lifestyle. Yeah. And uh, that's something that's just so cool. Especially because this comic goes insane. I, I feel like I say this every episode with our comics that we've read or whatever story that we go over. But this one really does go this extra mile all over the place. Finding subtlety in its humor straight away. And no, just right off the bat within that first issue, I got a full idea of yeah. what's really to come. But it didn't give me a whole lot to expect what would be in the next issue. A great understanding of tone, I guess, is 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 what I'll say to wrap it up there. Yeah, no, I 100% agree with you on that because it's funny that you mentioned that. I notice that whenever we do certain stories, I, at least for me, there's instances where I can read that first issue and then I'm like, mm, I don't know if I'm getting into this. But then by the second issue, that's when they get their footing. Kind of similar to like a TV show because, you know, however, it's notorious that like a TV show's very first pilot episode you rarely have a pilot episode that's like 100% amazing, right? right. But they're, if they're able to get you in there enough to want to keep going, they got you. And a there's a couple of the stories that we read where the first issue was like, it was okay, but it was like, you know, like I, I, I'm, I'm going to need some more convincing. Mm -hmm. This got me instantly. It got me instantly, and it could be because I heard a lot of different things that was going on with this book, or it could have just been the art style, but it really got me. And... There's so many things that this book made me question when it came to its intentions. So many things. I, I, I questioned why Orion is a terrible-ass leader. And then I <laughs> thought about how, wait, when you really think about it, uh, New Genesis and Apocalypse, ever since their inception when Jack Kirby created them, and I think now in the books people kind of forget this allegory like they talk about it but it's not talked about as much as it is in this book it's an allegory for heaven and hell there's a lot of different like god stuff that's in there and everything and i was thinking about how like wait orion is technically the son of the devil under technicality basically right. whereas if scott was actually the rule like the in charge he probably would have had an actual better done a better job than orion just there's a lot of different things that the book makes you question. Uh, it's the panel layouts. And I even noticed that there's a really cool like narrative device throughout the entire thing where it's like you see 
it's like told to you through like an old TV of sorts. And it, you hear flashes of just like an old school Mr. Miracle TV show going along. And it's like, it's just really cool. It's great. It, it's really great. And this whole book, I felt like lended itself to, if this was adapted into a TV show or even a movie, I feel like this would be perfect for it if it was that. See, I kind of like the idea, though, that it it feels like it's kind of built for this comic medium. Again, with with its panel work and its color, you know. Uh, there are certain points when the comic is in black and white and sometimes mm-hmm. Scott and Barda are in the living room. And the only thing that has color is the Mr. Miracle poster, which is supposed to be the first issue Mr. Miracle cover art. And I feel like there's a lot of things like that here. The use again of that grid system and when the illustrations do decide to take up half a page or one full page or at the end where it takes up two whole pages. It feels very intentional in its work that I can see someone trying to articulate it and putting it into other types of visual medium. But it, it has such a really nice respect to comics in a way that I feel like that love letter will kind of get lost. Same thing happened, I feel like, with The Killing Joke when that got made. It was great that it was, but it just wasn't it you know not to say that someone couldn't come around especially now with the way how animation animated studios are really on top of their stuff except for disney which is wonderful (laughs) 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 but still uh i think that this is just a really fantastic use of the material as well not even just the design but these characters feel very lively it's clear that they have backstories that they're comfortable conversating with that don't feel so juxtaposed because we need it in order to explain the story. It's it's very easy to jump into this book without reading a single Mr. Miracle story. I, I haven't read one. Did you have you read any at this point before? Um this? no. I had an understanding of who Mr. Miracle was and who hmm. Big Barter was primarily because of the Justice League series and I'd see them around all the time. And there would be certain stories that I'd read where they'd pop up and everything. Though the, them two as characters, like I have an idea of who who they are and all that other type of stuff. Uh, so reading this was kind of like my first experience of reading it, and they, honestly, they feel exactly how they're supposed to be written. Uh, I would say my favorite character throughout this entire book would have to be Bardo. Bardo was fun. I yeah, liked Bardo. Yeah, me too. And uh, did you know that Jack Kirby, when he created Big Bardo way back when? He based her off his wife. Yes. And uh, Tom King, when writing the book, he actually was inspired by his wife. I did not know that one. Yeah. That's cool. And, and I will say, too, the dynamic between the characters also feels very lively. Yeah, I, I, I love... I, I, oh, go, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, one thing that's so cool about this comic is that it really does feel like it can breathe at times yeah. when it... it really wouldn't work pacing wise for other stories it just it works very well how they're able to present their relationship what what were you going to say there though damon i didn't mean to interrupt you no you're good i was going to say the pacing was really the pacing was fast but it was fast in a good way it didn't feel like i needed to take a break it didn't feel like it was just breakneck speeds it had a really steady pace and their relationship had room to grow 
uh they're already married at this point but like i just love the different character beats uh especially when they're entering apocalypse uh after orion called uh mr miracle like uh traitor and he's gonna get get uh executed they decide to storm apocalypse and the way the art is just utilized is just amazing especially when uh there's an instance where like the ceiling is caving in and you see barda holding the ceiling up but the ceiling is in the shape of the panel and so mm. the panel gets smaller and smaller and smaller until she is able to pull scott out and herself out and then um just the just the dialogue throughout this entire sequence they're just having a conversation about how they're going to remodel their entire house right barda wants to get rid of it Barda wants to do this. She wants to do that. Scott is like, but I like this. And then they, just, then they even touch on their childhood. It's like a whole conversation for like five pages. It's not stale. It's really realistic. It sounds like something you talk to your own, par- to your own partner about. And then ultimately she reveals that she wanted to have, like she wants to do all this because she wants to add another room to their house. And Scott is like, why? We already have rooms. And then she's like, I'm pregnant. And his reaction is just amazing. Like his reaction, his first thing he does is just goes up and hugs her and says, I love you. Fantastic. I love it. And I like how this book is really treated like an average, like just a regular Tuesday almost. It has moments where it's like we're watching their normal. See, it's it's funny that you say that, though, because on top of all of that is all this different galactic warfare yeah. and murder, lots of murder. Uh was it the high father one of the new gods is killed during this and there is a full war that it's just in the background and and mr mirror yeah it becomes part of the background and you see how it starts to creep up and entrap their relationship too throughout the story so wild and you can see it too again in the panel work how things with them get smaller and these outside sources become bigger and more important to the story and it's moments like when we do get to see dark side, especially near the ending when we get a whole lot of dark side, being able to have him take over so much of the page. His dark side is? Because dark side is, which is something that also goes throughout the entire story. Dark side is. And- you know, my question is this, though, Jay. What do you think dark side is means? I think dark side is a very troubled person. He's a very sick person. He's a very sick person, and he needs some help. No, he does not. He needs to get thrown in a hole and forgotten about. Damn. Okay. Wow. All right. Then you want to be a psychologist? That's not very good. Good point. <laughs> I'm just saying, Dark Side is in need of love. Dark Side is in need of a friend. Dark All Side right. is well, in need of a shoulder they... to cry on, which he would if he still had his eyes. Jay, you could be that shoulder. I don't want to be the shoulder. I'm just saying that he you don't, needs you, it. You don't want to be booed up with dark side? Nah, I'm good. That's too much man for me. <laughs> okay, Tony Braxton. Okay, Tony Braxton. <laughs> Fuck out of here. <laughs> I mean, like, look at him. Dude's like 12 foot tall. Can't fit in my house. You go through my ceiling. I don't want that. He ain't going to pay for that. Fit, he, He's stubborn. He can't fit in your house? Okay, all right. That's what, yes, no, he can't fit uh, in my house either. In my house either as well. No, I'm not taking that pain. (laughs) (laughs) That's an inevitability I can try to run from. 
All right. Well, I guess Dark Side is not fitting in the house. Okay. Damn shit. But no. <laughs> on some real shit though. What do you think Dark Side is means? Because I know uh, the Tom inevitability. King, he's never flat out answer it. Inevitability. Inevitability. Okay. Dark Side is inevitable. You know, it, it, and that's the thing is that no matter what, whatever story he's introduced to, there's no way to stop him until you have to collide. And that doesn't even say that you can stop him. You know, that like a desperate person with nothing to lose, everything to gain with one set goal. That's desperation. You know, that's 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 just anything. Just think of that kind of desperation you see in real life or in other type of stories, you know. That's dark side amplified. And mm. yeah, to me that just screams inevitability. In a way that I would say more than Thanos because with Thanos it it changes a whole lot of what his motivations are as to why he sometimes gets the stones, sometimes doesn't even fuck with the stones. Comics it's death and movies it's overpopulation. Yeah, like when you really think about the fact that Dark Side, not Dark Side. I'm sorry, Thanos. Thanos's whole motivation in the comics was because he wanted to fuck bet, fuck, fuck death. He death wanted didn't to fuck want Betty him. Brand. Yeah, <laughs> wanted to fuck death, and death was like, "Nah, I'm good." And the entire story is just him trying to woo death. Wow. Right? Like when you look at him that way, and even now when they're trying to make him look in the films, like he's just a minute detail within this greater MCU or. Now, with Marvel, he's not even that huge of a disaster. Darkseid is. Okay, I can see that. I think... I I agree with you. I think another thing that I would say Darkseid is that, like, throughout the story... Because, Soups, throughout the story, we see Scott and even other characters in the book. Whenever a situation is about to occur, or whenever a situation is happening, they just say Darkseid is... And I'm assuming it's a mantra that they adapted, adopted on within the fourth world, within New Genesis and also within Apocalypse, mm. because like you said, Jay, I do think it's the inevitable. But I also think it's more like I've survived dark side so I can survive this almost. That's another thing I can think of, too. That's fair. That's fair. Mm-hmm. I, uh, well, I, another thing I think about it is how it all kind of ties into in its own ways with religion throughout the entirety of yeah. the story. Uh, the entirety of it. Orion is kind of just built off that whole aspect. That's what causes uh, really a whole lot of issue for Mr. Miracle throughout a majority of the run, if not the entirety of it, after Highfather dies. Because Orion takes over that position, even though he's technically not the real son. And they have this yeah. whole trial of conspiracy with orion is a bitch i'm sorry like he is and like orion is a flat-out bitch i'm thinking about when they had that trial in their living room and then he was just like i'm going to say statements and these are 100 percent truthful statements so you can't answer it with an i don't know or any other type of answer because it's not a question so you're gonna have to answer true or false or when he said usually with the original high father we'd appoint like a judge juror and executioner and for the sake of time, I'm going to just appoint myself as the judge, juror, and executioner. What? In his own living room, but which, which Scott handles very well, has a veggie tray out, make a whole yeah. thing, a whole spread for it. And, and 
I like that. Scott never really seems like he's under pressure when it points pressure pressure is being physically exerted onto him. But then we have these moments where we do see him kind of break and he does break a lot more than Barda who's able to be his rock. But then that also gets us these times when Barda is able to be emotional and have these times to lash out and show how all this stuff affects her on top of the fact, like we said earlier, she broke down when she found out he was at the beginning of the story. Like I liked, uh, sorry to cut you off. No, like, you're fine. I'm, I'm, like this book. Um, I know we talked about a lot of like the comedy and just some of the lighter stuff in a little bit, but like, soups this book is very heavy stuff heavy material mm. and i think this book really illustrates what it's like going through a depressive episode because all the things that's happening to scott he isn't remembering things properly he's also not feeling comfortable being like you know himself and there's even moments where he has a lot of doubts and he's talking about her about it or he's remembering his childhood and it feels like he's trying to reason with the negative things within his childhood because he wants some type of like normalcy again mm-hmm. uh just there's just a lot of different stuff within this book just a lot of little details and i think one of the saddest things is that like when you would get to see barda uh at the beginning of the story when scott did try to commit suicide she was in the hospital she was breaking down just crying and when she uh, got him at the hospital i liked the little details of that where you can tell Scott was just dissociating after he woke up in the hospital. So all the word balloons that you can tell were coming from the doctor, Barda, or people around him, they didn't have the line to indicate where they're going. So I read that as like, you know how if you're just really dazed or you're just dissociating, you may hear what people are saying, but you're not paying attention. So it feels like a like a layer is just over what you're hearing. That's yeah. what it kind of felt like. Yeah, I can see that. See, that's, again, another great use here of the illustrative work, knowing Mm. the ways to get that kind of interpretation out. This is kind of stuff that, too, I've been learning through the past week that Jack Kirby was just a fan of. Um, And and I brought up earlier, too, how he's not a big fan of of continuity. I do want to get to that, but before I do, I do want to bring up uh, an important character, one that I feel would be terrible if we were neglect. And that's uh, Dear Old Granny Goodness. Listen, I when I was reading Granny Goodness, I kept imagining Ed Asner's voice as the character mm. in Justice League, in Superman the Animated Series, and in a couple of animated movies. Rest in peace, Ed Asner, because that voice, that's Granny Goodness's voice. And I still stand by Kathy Bates would have been a great Granny Goodness. I, I don't know very much about the character, I think, to kind of make any sort of opinions. Uh, I will say, who who is the voice actor from Robots that plays the evil robot? That's the voice that played in my head. The mom. I don't know. Whoever that is. That's what played in my head when, with her. Now, I don't, I don't have a huge read with Granny Goodness, personally. I don't have a whole lot of history with her. This is literally my first introduction. Uh, you had had me watch a couple of things a little bit to, to focus a bit more on Dark Side. And there was some talk of Granny Goodness in those. But other than that not a whole lot coming into this for me personally. But yeah, I will I, say I, that she is a piece of work to say the least. And yeah, I'm just imagining cuz when we do finally see her in the story, she invites Scott and Barta into the, her tent for like for jello, green jello, might I add. Mm. 
and they're just eating the jello and then a friend of theirs from new genesis is like looking very just like withered away and he's starving and scott is like wait is that i, f- I forgot the name he said but he's like is that is that the guy and then bard is like yes that's him and then she's like oh yeah don't don't worry about him um you know i've actually uh he tried doing something to our camp or whatever so i just i'm starving him to death uh, I think it'd be nice to just eat food in front of him and everything like that. You guys aren't uncomfortable, are you? <laughs> like, she's so fucked in the head, dude. I love it, though. But polite. Fucked in the head, but polite. In her own way. In her own form of general lunacy. Yes, I suppose. But she also doesn't get a whole lot of time in this story either, which is interesting. True. But we do get a lot of talk about her, because even after, uh, well... Soup's a little bit of spoilers, but we usually do spoil stuff on our show. Uh, yeah, yeah, so, yeah, no, Barda and Scott were actually tasked with murdering Granny Goodness by Orion. Yes. So when they finally murder her, which prior to her murdering, uh, uh, Scott has a conversation with her. And she kind of tells him that Orion was going to, like, basically, like, turn on them. And then they also talked about the anti-life equation and a lot of other shit. And then even after she's murdered, we then see just Scott kind of, like, wondering, like, you know, she wasn't that bad. And it it just, it, it was just really sad. It was really sad seeing him, like, just think about that and talk about that. And Barda having to bring him back down to reality. And uh, there's this part, I think, which I think it was issue three or whatever, where it was uh, Christmas, apparently. And Scott was talking about how Granny used to tell him a story. And he was like kind of excited to tell it. And he just started talking more and more. And as the reader, I didn't catch on until that he was talking about the Holocaust until maybe halfway through his story. Because it just got worse and worse and worse. And I was like, damn. Damn. But, you know, I, I, I got to say, Barda is an amazing partner, though, to Scott. Yeah. Because even when he's, like, talking about that type of stuff, she doesn't. She never shoots him down. She only just brings him back to reality after he's finished. No, uh, they, they the, really help continue to build each other up past the what they yeah. went through, which was basically hell. Being tortured yeah. by goodness as children, you know, thrown into lava pits and, and put through all sorts of unimaginable horrors Uh, and the fact that they're able to find each other with that too there's a lot of interesting compassion through all of this and and scott trying to figure out really what that mother figure looks like to him after the fact and trying to figure out what to do with weirdly enough this loss that he is suffering on top of all these other episodes it really makes you wonder where does it all come from and where does this blindness start? When does it end? Because even at the end exactly. of the story, she comes back in like this mystic mirror that he has in the condo bathroom, which he also has something to say about that. Um, but when she's talking with or when he's talking with Granny Goodness in the mirror, I, I still can't say, like, is it actually her her like some weird spirit thing? Is it supposed to be some manifestation in his own mind? What what is it meant to be? And the ending has tons of stuff like that, which uh, unless there's something else you want to add, Damon, I want to really get to to the ending here because it it is kind of cool. I have to add one more thing. I got one question for you. 
well, two. I know that, like, we do meet the female Furies later on in the story and everything, but did you know that, like, Barda was a part of that, like, elite, like, guard on, on Apocalypse? Um, <clears throat> through... Jesus. One second. Through context of this story, uh, as well as a little bit of research that I did after the fact, uh, I was able to learn a little bit more about Barda's past, which did make these cast of characters coming in her family especially when they they give birth to uh little jacob that uh, was really sweet that they were there that was yeah sweet. yeah especially because with them being on opposing sides it, it really was a fun little dynamic one that felt tropey but not because like how often do you get to see a story play out the way that this one does mm-hmm that was sweet. But, you know, my final question before we dive into talking further about the ending and everything. Yeah. Who's your favorite character in this? Yeah, for me, Barda, just like you. She is such an interesting character that we learn about when she's ready for her to speak about. And you kind of can feel that weight just emanate from her, from the presence of that character. She's very interesting and getting these moments when she does break down, when she gets to break down with her mom after this whole fight and war waging on over the their child, her grandchild. It's uh, it's it's a real interesting look into this purity amongst a lot of this strange and wild stuff happening in the world that, yeah, she's just so, so cool. And then for that, it would be Mr. Miracle because he's. I don't know. He's just such a well-rounded character. Very interesting. Has good sense of comedic presence as well as taking times to be serious. He's just developed very well by the writer. Tom King did a great job with the main characters here. So it's hard to pick the two. But for me, it would be Barda just like you. Good choice because I love Barda. Honestly, her and Scott, they were my favorite parts of this book. And it's interesting because they're basically both of the main characters in this book. I mean, Scott more than Barda but like they really they just work well off of each other mm-hmm. and I always found their way of getting together was really sweet it was the fact that Barda saw something in Scott she saw his optimism and his hope and that is what really caused her to be interested in him even though she was a part of the female furies and she was like just a lot of just different stuff she's realistic whereas he's optimistic mm. and I, I love that I love that so much so I got one more thing I want to say, though. Jay, did you know that prior to DC being all over the place, they were going to make a New Gods movie? Yes, I do recall seeing that a part of yeah. the lineup a while ago. Really glad that that's not happening. That would be ass. We've got that in some essence with Eternals, in my opinion. I don't want that movie. But you know something? What? I don't think it would have been ass because Ava DuVernay was directing... She was also writing, but she also had someone else helping her writing too, with writing, too. Or a second writer. And guess who that second writer was? Tom King? It was. And he also was uh, heavily involved with the project, too. See, there's something about that timeline in particular, though, that worries me. I think of The Flash. I think of Batman. I think of a lot of movies that were supposed to be in that lineup that went through so many hurdles due to studio creativity issues, budgetary issues, cast controversies. You know, there's like a ton of stuff with DC in particular. 
that has gone through a huge wave of bullshit ever since that original lineup showing New Gods. And I just, even if Tom King could commit to it, I just don't know how other people would have actually been able to commit to it. Like, and I think even when we saw that lineup, it just felt like DC, even at the time, didn't know what they were doing. They just wanted to do it. Yeah. I don't know. I personally feel like when it came to the New Gods movie, I felt like that story could have been easier to tell because not many people would have put two and two together that it was a DC property. They would have just mm. seen the logo and be, oh, it's DC. Because there's so many other characters in the New, New Gods landscape that could have did, like, just could have worked within its own thing. Eternals, which is another Jack Kirby property, and I'm pretty sure... I want to say Eternals came first, and then mm. he made New Gods, almost like a spiritual sequel of uh, his work on Eternals. Or I could be could be wrong, and I think they might be flip flopped. Mm. But of the two, I always thought New Gods was more interesting and like a more refined version of his thoughts on that type of stuff. Yeah, that's fair. That is fair. But still, let's live in the what could have been. I guess. I suppose so, but. As you were going to say, what did you want to touch on before yeah. we wrap up this episode? Now, what I want to leave it off here is really just how the story ends with this giant splash page of all the different heroes coming out of like this glowing light. And you see a lot of different characters, ones that were not in the story much at all. And then ones that were here like Barda and stuff. But you don't see Mr. Miracle. It, this whole idea that he lives outside of the continuity, the respect to that, uh, to the storyline, to to Kirby, something that he uh, that I established a little or that I spoke about earlier in the episode today, where he really did not like working around how other people would take care of his characters. And the way how this story ends is saying that Mr. Miracle is still not really that. Or maybe he is. It's it's up to this interpretation. Another thing that's very Jack Kirby. And I just really respect that. It, mm-hmm. it, it was an ending that I really was able to appreciate and think on. And, and that's really what the point is to a lot of this medium, you know, is, is finding something that you can latch to and think about. It doesn't have to be this big discussion piece or thought tank, but gaining something from what it is that we consume. And, and that ending really did wrap it up very well for me to enjoy the story beginning to end because that ending if it was messed up you know like it doesn't really matter how we got here and it, this is probably the longest story that we've covered too on the episode uh, or on the show but 12 volumes uh big big story so it so if you mess that up like that's about seven eight dollars a pop 12 of those you know and if you have a dedicated fan page people people would just be very mad so yeah. finding the right way to balance it with how wild that story goes all over the place was just a really good ending. I 100% agree with you. And I like how the ending in a lot of ways is open-ended. Yes. Uh, Tom King, he never, when it came to this book at least, he never really answered any questions because he preferred to have it open-ended. He's like, there is an answer, but he's not going to give an answer. Mm-hmm. Uh, especially when it came to the dark side is thing. And then also when it came to the ending, I am kind of with the camp that believes that he died. He, he committed suicide. 
on the other flip side of that, um, the big question mark that I have with this book as well, too, is, is it within continuity? Is it not within continuity? Is it an Elseworlds book? Where does this book place when it comes to the overarching DC landscape? But I think, like you said, Jay, I think that was purposely the intentions when making this book. I think what he wanted to do was do a whole character study of a character Mm. that Jack Kirby loved. And not only give a love letter to Jack Kirby and make sure he got his flowers, but also just tell a really captivating story uh, but a real a real story around these characters. And in all honesty, I think he did a really good job. And it's kind of the same type of stuff that Jack Kirby liked to do. Jack Kirby was always interested in otherworldly, larger-than-life, godlike characters. But he liked the idea of giving them relatable story, like relatable um, emotions or having just, just dealing with different problems or whatever. Mm. So this book did just a lot of things... It did right by Jack Kirby. It really did. It did right by him. And that ending, honestly, this is a book that really is in need of a reread. Like, this is something I probably would go back to and reread. Because it seems like there's so many things that could easily be missed. And just, I don't know. It was a really good book. And I think Tom King did a really good job with this. I agree. I totally agree. All right. So, Jay, how would you rate this book out of five? Uh, I, I'd give it a five. I, I want to recommend this to everyone. Like, this is really, like, a, a captivating story. And, yeah, it's, it's one that just leaves, like, a really good impression as to what it's just supposed to be to write a comic book, I think, and how to make it stand out amongst this ongoing precipice and plethora of, of how its landscape has changed over the past few, uh, even just the past few years since this book came out. Okay, okay. Honestly, I'd give it a five, too. This story, there's a lot of, like, it made me feel a lot of different emotions. It it even touched home in a lot of different places. And uh, I just liked just the framing of every single thing. As we're going through this journey with Scott, we're like feeling all the emotions that he's feeling and we're seeing all the visuals thanks to the artist. Yeah. And uh, just, I just love this book. I really do. And I love, I I love it a lot. Like I really am going to reread this book. But the real question here, Soups, is what do you guys think? Do you think Mr. Miracle by Tom King will stand the test of time? Be sure to give us your answers by reviewing the show or messaging us on Instagram at Super Saturdays Podcast, TikTok at Super Saturdays Pod, and Twitter at Super Saturdays PC. Your messages and reviews can make their way on this show. This was Super Saturdays. I'm Damon. And I'm Jay Hayward. Make sure you also follow Damon and I on our Instagrams too at Damon underscore 1003 and at Gal. See you next Saturday, Soups. Hey, Soups. Do you enjoy the music here on the podcast? Then why don't you check out our buddy Jake Voigt at jakevoigtmusic.com.